All right, we're going to spend some time now looking at the scriptures together. So we are continuing this series, ah, continuing this series called Stories of the King. And so we've been looking at various stories about Jesus in the New Testament. We've been following along with the stories in the Jesus Storybook Bible because we want to encourage you to be reading actual Bibles and reading children's Bibles and retelling stories of the King with each other at home. So this week, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're calling it this week, Treasure the Kingdom. Treasure the Kingdom. Encourage you to go back and read all of the chapter for more context, but we're going to zero in on verses 44 through 52. Treasure the kingdom. The song we sang today reminded us from Matthew 6 that Jesus calls us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where things can't be corrupted or destroyed. We have a problem as human beings. We often treasure the wrong things. And so Jesus is calling us to not treasure all of our earthly treasures, all of our earthly things, but to treasure him and his kingdom. As a matter of fact, he says this later on after, after the verse in 6.20, we sang the song about lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Then in 6.33, he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. And so there's this constant call for us to treasure Jesus, to treasure his kingdom more than anything else. This weekend, ironically enough, didn't plan this, right? We were just kind of following the order of the stories in the Jesus Storybook Bible, But this weekend, as Jesus calls us to treasure being citizens of his kingdom, we also as Americans celebrated the beginning of our kingdom, if you will, our country, the birth of our country through the Declaration of Independence yesterday. And here's the interesting thing. As citizens of Jesus's kingdom, that frees us as children of God to both celebrate the good things in our country and critique it. You'll hear a lot of voices as we've talked about our culture is incredibly divided right now. And you're going to have a lot of voices telling you, you got to hate the injustice or you got to celebrate the good. One or the other. You got to make a choice, right? As Christians, our hope doesn't lie in this world. And we get to step back for a minute and say, I'm so thankful that God put me in this country. There are so many good things. And I'm going to fight for and uh, work for and pray for reform and help the country live up to its potential. You can both celebrate the good and critique what's broken because we have this freedom as citizens of the true heavenly kingdom. And so we've got this this great treasure as Americans where we are promised equality, right? And interestingly enough, Martin Luther King in 1963, when he made his famous I Have a Dream speech, he didn't say that treasure is junk. He said, yeah, that treasure has been promised to us, but it's not being given to everyone. And so he had that both-and attitude as a follower of Christ. If there are good things and there are problems. Now, what we want to recognize is as Jesus calls us to treasure him and his kingdom, he's telling us if we put all our hope in this world, if we put all our hope in the things of this world, we're going to miss out on what is most important. So let's look at the text. We're going to read again Matthew 13, verses 44 through 52. All right, starting in verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore. They sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. Let me pray and ask God to teach us, to focus us, to help us to recognize the true treasure. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We recognize that, that we have many benefits in this world, especially those of us in this country, much treasure. Uh, we grieve over what is broken. We also celebrate what is good. But God, help us to look past the here and now to what you're calling us to, to, to a heavenly treasure. Help us to see you, God, that that would, would change us, would change our perspective, um, but most of all, we pray that your spirit would help us to magnify you, to, to see your goodness, to recognize the treasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are called to treasure the kingdom. We've been looking at stories of the king, and the kingdom is basically the rule and reign of Jesus. And so as Jesus was preaching about the kingdom, there was an already not yet tension that we live with as well now, that was breaking in during the time of Jesus. So that causes a lot of theologians to debate, you know, is the kingdom completely there with Jesus or is the kingdom not coming at all until he returns? Well, it's both. It's both and. It's already not yet. The kingdom's already breaking in through Jesus. It's already breaking in as we trust in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins now. We begin a new life of following him. And as we follow him and obey Jesus, then we are bringing the kingdom. Then the kingdom is breaking in through our goodness, our righteousness, as we love others and forgive others, then the kingdom continues to break in. But we long for, we ache and groan, as Romans 8 says, we long for the fulfillment. We long for it to be complete. And so there's a sense in which the kingdom is breaking in now, but we long for it to be fulfilled and complete. We want it to be done, right? We want to see him face to face. We want to see perfect righteousness, no more sin, no more pain, no more crying. So that's the in-between time that we live in now. We are treasuring the kingdom by treasuring the king and then living as he tells us to live. As we move through the text with these different parables, what we're going to see is that we are called on to find the treasure. That's what he talks about with those first two parables. And then we're called on to beware of the wrong treasure. We've got to beware of the wrong treasure. There's real danger. There's kind of a little scary line there about weeping, gnashing of teeth. Um, and then finally, we've got to share the treasure. We're called on to share the treasure as disciples in his kingdom. So the first thing I want us to look at is this idea that we are to find the treasure. We see this in the first two parables in verses 44 through 46. He tells two really short parables that say the same uh, big idea, if you will. So let's look again at those parables where we're called to find the treasure. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. He found it, right? And then he covered it up. Why'd he cover it up? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. 
the image is that, you know, you find a million dollars. Now, we got to be careful. I did some, uh, some little further research, and by the laws of that time, what he was doing was not like sinister or anything, okay? Because it, it, it might sound weird in our culture the way he went about this. But um, remember in the ancient world, they didn't have banks, right? So you could find treasure often that people had buried generations before. And so that's more likely what's going on here. He finds something very valuable and goes about the legal process. He goes, he buys the field, and then celebrates that he gets to own it for himself. The, the important components here are he finds treasure, he recognizes how good it is, and he wants it. The next parable echoes a lot of those same things. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So you got a merchant going around looking for fine pearls. Verse 46, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So finding the treasure involves something we see in both parables here. You recognize its value, and it has this primary value that makes everything else secondary. Do you see that? And that's part of what I was getting at in the, the, the teaser and the introduction up front about we can't really be good citizens of an earthly kingdom until we find our citizenship in heaven in the ultimate kingdom. Only then are we free to stop acting like a an orphan that's on our own, that's got to fight and scratch and push people out of the way to get what's ours in the here and now. No, if, if we're really citizens of the heavenly kingdom, if we belong to Jesus, that frees us up to serve those around us, to be of benefit to our earthly kingdom. And so here Jesus is saying, see that the kingdom of heaven, see that Jesus, that what God has for you in Christ is better by far than any other treasure. Do you recognize that, that the treasure is worth so much more than anything else you could ever invest in in the here and now? I grabbed a picture of a little kid with a metal detector. Any of you ever had a metal detector, some of you? I have to tell you, um, I, I, looked for, I Googled this picture particularly because when I was a child, that was my dream, right? I dreamed of having a metal detector and finding treasure. As a matter of fact, I used to bury treasure for other people in future generations. So, you know, hundreds of years from now, some child might find old rotten toys buried under my old house in central Texas from when I was a child because I was just fascinated by this concept of secret treasure, of finding something valuable in a world of things that are not all that valuable. So here's one question for you by application. Are you even seeking treasure? Are you even looking for what is valuable? And then secondarily, what we see here is Jesus says, make sure you find what is most valuable. Don't just settle for the here and now. What's the secondary treasure that you're tempted to settle for? What's the secondary treasure that you're tempted to make into an ultimate treasure when, when Jesus says, no, seek the kingdom and God's righteousness. That's ultimate treasure. Don't just settle for a good job. Don't just settle for good relationships. Don't just settle for money or for pleasure or numbing yourself with movies and social media. Don't just settle for something pleasant and distracting in the here and now, but seek the real treasure. Find the ultimate treasure of Christ himself. He offers himself for our ultimate problem. The Bible says, yeah, all these other problems that we deal with are real problems, but there's an ultimate problem that makes Jesus ultimate treasure. And that ultimate problem is our separation from God himself. You're on the outside. 
And only by the death and resurrection of Jesus can we be brought into that family. Can we be made citizens of heaven, citizens of God's kingdom, instead of just scrambling and fighting and doing the best we can to survive in this world? A lot of theologians would say the Ten Commandments remind us of this primary treasure, secondary treasure type format because they tell us first off, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. So Martin Luther, other teachers, I know Tim Keller has said this, I think a lot of famous teachers have have talked about this. The idea is that whenever you break any commandments, whenever you do anything wrong, Really, you broke the first commandment first. Really, what you did is you said, God's not really a treasure. This is treasure. So I'm willing to lie to get this. Or I'm willing to kill to get this. Or I'm willing to violate uh, the purity ethics that God has called me to because this is real treasure. And that's why God in the Ten Commandments says, make me the real God. He says, make the real God the real God. There are all these lesser gods in our world that we're tempted to think that can save me, that can comfort me, that can secure me. What is it in your life? One of the ways that we can recognize this is just looking at the sin patterns in our life. Like, what do you keep slipping up with, right? Where do you keep falling? Where do you keep stumbling? And you follow that trail. There's going to be a string generally from I did this sin, I hurt this person, I freaked out in this moment, and you can kind of follow the string back to what, what triggered that? What sent me running towards that? And there's a sin beneath the sin, which typically pushes us to there's a, there's a false savior beneath the real savior. There's a false kingdom that I was seeking instead of the real kingdom. I wanted my citizenship to be in the kingdom of financial security, So I lied and I killed to get financial security. Or I wanted my kingdom to be the kingdom of relational happiness. So I hurt other people or I squeezed this one person with just relational dysfunction because relationships are so important to me. What is it for you? We have to find that connection to to clarify, okay, this is treasure. Jesus is treasure. His kingdom is treasure. I'm going to seek first him and everything else will be okay. So Come to Jesus. Recognize that he is ultimate treasure. It's a phrase we use a lot of times when, when you have to have a serious talk with someone, right? You have a come to Jesus moment. Well, well, Jesus would approve of that language. He would just say, actually coming to Jesus is the most important conversation to have. Do you recognize your need? Do you recognize your brokenness? Do you recognize your inability to love people the way God tells you to? Do you recognize your inability to do what's right all the time the way God tells you to? That's a recognition of sin, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that recognition leads us to to recognize that he's ultimate treasure because he rescues us through his death and resurrection. So find the treasure, find the treasure. The next thing I want us to see is the seriousness of this. We need to beware of the wrong treasure. Beware of the wrong treasure. And I already uh, alluded to there are a lot of wrong treasures in this world, right? There are a lot of wrong kingdoms that we can invest in that lead us towards unrighteousness. So as you pursue a false savior of relationships or money or respect or control or whatever false kingdom and false savior that you are tempted to pursue, that's going to lead to a life of unrighteousness, of hurting people, of doing the wrong thing, of not being brave and kind and just. And Jesus says, beware, beware. So this time we live in, the time of the proclamation of salvation in Jesus, 
while we wait for Jesus coming back and making all things right, this in-between time, Peter refers to this as a time of patience where God is patiently waiting for people to come to repentance. This time he characterizes in this parable as a time when nets are being thrown out and gathering up fish. So in this story, in this parable, he's going to say, people are like fish. Remember in Matthew, I think it's 419, he's calling his disciples. Some of them were fishermen. He's like, hey, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're now going to fish for people. You're now going to catch people and draw them to God. So he's going to explain what that process looks like here in verses 47 through 50. So verses 47 through 50, Matthew 13, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Um, So just a clarification, they fished with nets. I think most people know that. That still happens in some parts of the world, even in our part of the world, some people still fish with nets, although I think most of us are more used to fishing with hooks, right? Uh, I grabbed a picture of a grandpa and a little girl fishing with a hook. He's teaching her to fish. That's the way I uh, learned to fish when I was a kid. Probably many of you learned to fish with hooks. Um, And so same metaphor, fishing, catching fish, but just a different method, right? They would use nets. And when you're catching fish with hooks or when you're catching fish with nets, sometimes you get like an old rusty can, And you'd say, that's bad. I don't want to eat the old rusty can. And so you throw it back. Or sometimes you might get like a pregnant fish and say, we're going to throw that back so it can, you know, it's a mama, it's going to have more babies. Or you might get a a nasty looking fish or a dead fish and you throw that out, right? You're going to get fish that you don't want that aren't good fish and you're going to sort them. You're going to throw those out. And then you're going to keep the good ones. That's the same process, whether you're catching them with a hook or you're catching them with a net. He says here they were catching them with a net. That was the common way that they did it in the Sea of Galilee. He says they're going to be sorted, and they're going to put the good ones into containers, throw away the bad. And he says, it'll be like this at the end of the age, at the end of time. He says, at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to explain kind of in general what this means first and then back up and try to make a case for those of you that are watching that think this is horrific and shouldn't be the way things are. I want to try to appeal to you why it makes sense in our universe. But first, let's just clarify what he's saying. He's saying in the end, there will be a final reckoning. There will be unrighteous cast out into outer darkness. He says here, fiery furnace. Um, There will be a horrible weeping and gnashing of teeth, it'll be a great place of separation, horrors. We usually refer to this as hell. Um, some, some, I think it's like a minority report for some theologians are like, yeah, it's fire, so you burn up. Most theologians would say, you know how like physically when people are dying, they keep hanging on and the body wants to keep going? Most theologians would say we are eternal people with eternal souls. And so that eternal soul never dies. It kind of keeps hanging on for eternal destruction. So this is a horrifying idea that we choose eternal destruction, that we choose, I don't, I don't want true treasure. I want to have my treasure just in the here and now. I just want to have 50 years of treasure, or 20 years of treasure, or 70 years of treasure, whatever it is. I just want to have earthly treasure, an earthly kingdom. I don't really want, I don't really want Jesus. I don't really want God, and he's saying, but recognize I'm the source of all life. Come to me. Now, 
again, I know some people think this is just horrifying, and I just want to speak to that real briefly. I, I don't have plans to completely justify the, the concept of judgment in hell right now, uh, but I just want you to recognize that there, there are some things in your life, some things that have happened to you or other people, that you're like, that is horrible and it must be stopped. And I would say, you believe in judgment. If you believe that anything is horrible and that anything should ever be stopped, you believe in judgment. Everything beyond that, we're just quibbling over the the methods and the details, right? And so you believe in judgment, and I believe in judgment. Jesus says, beware, judgment is real. It's something to be scared of, to be afraid of. And so what the Bible teaches at 50,000 feet is the way we get to this place of actually being the good fish, of actually being the righteous, is by treasuring Jesus, is by recognizing that we can't do it on our own. He says this again and again. One of my favorite parables in Luke is when the two men go up to the temple to pray, and the righteous man, or the man who supposedly sees himself as righteous, says, God, thank you that I'm so righteous. Another man comes in, knows he's a sinner, and says, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said only one of those men was actually righteous. It's the one who said, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Do you recognize your lack of righteousness? That's the only road to becoming the righteous fish. (laughs) That's the only road to becoming the good fish, the one that the great fishermen will keep and treasure. So again, I want to take you back to what are those false kingdoms? What are those false gods? What are those false saviors that your heart is lured to? You need to recognize those. We need to say, God, I repent. I recognize that I can't actually be okay. I can't actually become righteous by stacking up a great retirement account. I recognize that's not enough. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Or God, I recognize that one relationship after another relational ecstasy, joy, whatever you want to call that, the perfect relationship is not enough. I repent. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need your righteousness from the outside. God, I recognize that uh, being impressive, that having respect, that having a following is not enough. I turn from that. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. What is the false savior that you've been lured to? Here Jesus would say, beware of the wrong treasure. You don't You don't want to be the fish that's thrown out. And again, I want to reassure you that God is patient. God is patient with you. There are all kinds of false gospels luring us away right now. Um, For Americans, we're called to self-actualization, right? Just, Just really being yourself. Like you're not enough of yourself. You need to dig deeper and be more of yourself, right? Like that that can save us. Or reorienting and fixing all the injustices in society so that we can, apart from God, make a perfect society, right? And of course we want to work for a just society, but we can't build that society apart from God. Or perhaps it's something else for you. What, what is it for you? There's this uh, phrase called uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. Some sociologists have said that is the religion of the United States right now. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism means God's just kind of out there, like God exists. That basically, God exists, deism, but he's not super involved. Therapeutic, we love the language of psychology, becoming our true selves, being comforted. We psychologize everything. And then moralistic means we're basically like the Pharisees, just in this other system saying, 
I can achieve righteousness through my therapy and my attention to what it means to be a, a good person. What's, what's the false system that is perhaps driving you away from Jesus? Beware of the wrong treasure. Last point, we're called to share the treasure. So if we found the treasure that is Jesus himself, being wary of the wrong treasures that can pull us away from him, he says, you're going to start growing in your understanding of what the treasure really is, and then you have a responsibility to share it with others. Now, I just want to, I just want to try to make this a little simpler for you. All people have the responsibility who follow Christ to share Christ with others. The New Testament is clear that some people are gifted and might share Christ more with more people, right? So that's okay. So when I say you have to share Christ, I don't mean you all have to plant a church and preach on a microphone or do broadcast, right? Like that, that's not what that means. That just means you need to be faithful in whatever sphere of influence you have to share the hope that you have in Christ. Very basic level. One-on-one in, in small settings, you've got to be faithful. So let's see this last parable, verse 51. It says in verse 51, have you understood all these things? Jesus is like, all right, do you get it? I've shared a bunch of parables with you. Previously in chapter 13, he shared some other parables. Have you understood all these? And they were like, yes, yes. Kind of reminds me of Deuteronomy when they're like, yes, we will follow you. And then they don't really, but anyway, that's another story. So they said, yes, we understand. Verse 52, and he said to them, therefore, every scribe, um, in that context, this would have been someone who was a student of the word. I think that's the most simple way to say this. There are a lot more technical definitions for that, but based on the context here, he's, he's saying, every student of the word who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So he's saying, everybody that understands the kingdom is like an important master. Remember, he's talking to peasants here who are not masters of houses, right? These are not people of influence. These are not people with treasure. He's saying, all of you, no matter what your earthly kingdom is like, all of you, if you understand the kingdom of heaven, you're like the great master of an important house of treasures who is pulling out new and old treasures for people. Here, most scholars think he's referring to the old treasures promised in the Old Testament. And then the new covenant promises fulfilled in Jesus. But again, the focus is the kingdom. If you understand the kingdom, it's found in Jesus. If you understand the kingdom is your only hope, if you understand that we are to lay up treasures in heaven and not just earthly treasures, then you have something to share with others. You have something beyond just earthly treasure to share. And are we supposed to share our earthly treasure? Yes, we're supposed to share our earthly treasure. We're supposed to care about the earthly kingdom. But again, he's saying prioritize Sell everything else, get rid of everything else, do whatever you have to do to find this treasure, which is Jesus himself. And once you've found it, you have something to share. Do you recognize that? Number one, do you recognize your responsibility to share the good things you've been given? But number two, do you see that that you're you're a part of this game and you really have something good and beautiful? It's, It's something awesome, right? Let me say it another way. If you never share... If you're never excited, and again, we have, we have, to, you have to think about what sharing actually means, right? I don't mean like starting a church and preaching, but if you never talk about Jesus at all, do you even think Jesus is worth it? Like, is he a treasure to you if there's no excitement? 
If he is, a, is he a treasure to you if, if there's no change in your life? We have to ask ourselves this question. I grabbed a picture of kids sharing toys. Um, I don't know how many of you have little kids, but man, this is a big, this is a big breakthrough, right? When you see a kid sharing a toy, you're like, this is amazing. I can't believe it. It's a huge step of maturity. I might go so far as to say it's not just maturity. It's like supernatural generosity when a human being shares their stuff. It's like the Spirit of God working in someone's life. Is God working on you that way? Do you recognize the incredible treasure that you have in Jesus? And then do you have joy in in sharing that treasure with others? Are you sharing the treasure? Um, A first step to being able to share the treasure verbally is being able to articulate it, being able to even explain it, right? Um, Some people I hear say, well, I don't don't like to talk about Jesus because... Because I'm afraid I'm not going to do him justice. Um, so one example that I think is really helpful is this blind man that Jesus healed, and he's being questioned by the legal scholars and Bible teachers, and they're like, "Tell us about it." And he's like, "I don't know. I was I was blind, but now I can see." Right? He's like, "That that's about all I've got." This is what Jesus did for me. So I just want to start there. If Jesus has changed your life, it's okay to start there. And then when people ask you more questions, to say. I don't know. I'll go try to find someone that can help me answer these questions. I want to talk to you more about this, but I don't know the answer. I'll go talk to Jesus. I'll go talk to friends that know more about Jesus, and we'll try to have a follow-up conversation. It's okay to just start with what you know. I also want to encourage you, though, to equip yourself. A great verse to memorize is Romans 6.23. A lot of people talk about this verse with what is sometimes called one verse evangelism, uh, one verse sharing of Jesus. And that is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so it's this contrast. Sometimes you'll see people draw the, the cliff, right? Over here, we deserve death. The wages that we've earned for our life, we've earned death because of our sin. But over here, we've got this free gift, this grace in Jesus Christ. And so that, that contrast is a really helpful place to start, just memorizing that verse, Romans 6.23. And then also, we're in a high-tech world. Um, I hate to encourage you to look at your phones at all, but there is an app that can help you share the gospel. It's called Life on Mission, and it uses the three circles method of sharing the gospel. We've talked about this one before at the church, a Life on Mission app, and it's three circles. You can also Google YouTube videos of how to do the three circles gospel presentation. It's basically talking about the kind of three worlds that we know, uh, the perfect, gorgeous glorious world that God created. That's kind of like the world we know intuitively, the way things are supposed to to be. We see echoes of that in beautiful sunsets or in happy moments or uh, a good steak or guacamole. That's what I had last night, so my mind's on that. My mind's always kind of on guacamole and good steak. But, um, you know, those little moments, you, you get a picture of God's glory, right? Even though the world is broken. So that's the beautiful, perfect world. And then there's the recognition of the broken world. We all know the world's broken. It's not everything it's supposed to be. I'm sinful. There are hurricanes and floods and pandemic. The world is broken, right? So that's that broken world. And then the final world that Jesus is restoring through his death and resurrection. And so that's a a beautiful way to learn to share the good news, to share the treasure that we have in Christ. So we see this movement through these different parables. And of course, there's a lot more to it than that, but I want to try to kind of summarize it one more time. 
We're called on to find the treasure, to seek it, to prioritize it, to see that the treasure of who Jesus is and his kingdom has a priority over everything else. Then we're called on, he says, to beware that some are not going to make it, that some are going to prize the wrong treasure. And finally, if we understand these things, to, to share the treasure that we have in Christ, to share that with others. Uh, one of the ways that I think is really helpful to think about how we share the treasure is that it's not just the message of Jesus, but it's also the manner of Jesus. It's the message of Jesus and the manner of Jesus. I'm afraid in our divisive social media world, many Christians are forgetting the manner of Jesus. And Jesus was sometimes harsh with the hypocrites and the false teachers, but for the most part, Jesus was very compassionate and patient and conversational. So over the several, last several weeks, we keep going back to Romans 12, 15 and 16 as like a model of that, right? To live in harmony with one another, to celebrate with those who celebrate and to cry with those who cry, to live real life with real people, to meet them where they're at, to be relationally connected to people. That's the manner of Jesus. And we do that as a way of then sharing the words, the message of Jesus as well. We always want to keep those two things together. Don't just share the message and be hateful in your manner. Share the message of Jesus, Romans 6.23, with the manner of Jesus as well, loving people relationally. So treasure the kingdom. Treasure the kingdom. One of the most amazing things we see in all of us when we treasure the kingdom, and the, the Jesus Storybook Bible alluded to this at the end of the story, is the reality that God actually makes us his treasure. And I think in the end, that's, our, that's one of our greatest motivations, to treasure him, to treasure him. Ephesians 1 says it this way, we have this great inheritance and we've been given a down payment in the Holy Spirit. God has given us this down payment in the Holy Spirit to recognize that we are God's treasure. He says it more explicitly because the English translations of Ephesians 1, it's not as clear, it can be kind of fuzzy sometimes when you read that. So he says it really explicitly in Isaiah 40. And I want to end with this, Isaiah 40 verses 10 through 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Translation, behold, his treasure is with him. His treasure is before him. Isaiah 40, 11 says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah 40 is a promise of salvation. It says, God's treasure are his people. Isn't that amazing? God treasures us. We have a God who delights in us by sending us Jesus. We see that most clearly when we see and recognize the story of our King Jesus himself. And he says, treasure this kingdom. Treasure this upside-down kingdom where the king prioritizes his servants and comes and bleeds and dies for them and rises again to take them back into his kingdom. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us so much that you sacrificed for us. You gave yourself for us to redeem us. We pray, Lord, that that would change our mindset. It would change our habits. It would change how we see you. It would change how we see the world. Lord, help us to treasure you and your kingdom above all else so that we would be of of blessing and benefit to these earthly kingdoms that you've placed us in here and now. God, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.